0: Welcome friends to Generations This is Kevin Swanson, your host, also Adam McManus from TheWorldview.com With me on this edition And uh, Adam, welcome to the program Good to have you back on
1: It's great to be here I just came last night from having attended with my two sons Honor, who's 14, Valor, who's 9 The Gaither Vocal Band Bill Gaither is coming up on his 88th birthday, and he's got four younger members.
0: Man, he, he's been around forever. I mean, since Elvis, I think.
1: Yeah. He's been writing songs for a long time, and 600 songs to his name. One of the most precious moments of the whole concert was when, toward the end, they, they sang Because He Lives, his signature song that he's probably most well-known for, and they featured on the video screen some clips from people around the world, Russia, Philippines, China, Japan, Ecuador, where people were singing because he lives in their own language. It was just a great sense of the of the global church worshiping the Lord, using the very lyrics that the Lord gave Bill and Gloria Gaither. And I was... Uh, privilege to get a signed copy of Because He Lives song sheet from both Bill and Gloria that I plan on framing and putting in my home here in the next couple weeks. Did your boys enjoy it? You know, they were very skeptical. They did not want to go. I said, you're going. This is it. You know, this is what we're doing. My, my wife and daughter <laughs> stayed behind because she had a birthday slumber party for my daughter. They were very hesitant because they knew it was kind of an older demographic. But the humor is what really won them over between Kevin Williams, the guitarist, who now kind of takes on the Mark Lowry comedic role with Bill Gaither. Bill is one of the most humble men you've ever met because he's the constant butt of jokes the entire evening. Kevin said, we'll get started here in just a moment. As soon as Bill uh, yeah. Gaither puts his teeth in backstage.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, well, yeah, here's some good, more good news uh, from Alabama. I mean, This, I think, is some of the best news we've had from a Supreme Court. The reversal of Roe v. Wade was something. It was a step, but it wasn't principled. It wasn't necessarily principled. It was simply a decentralization on the decision-making. But... What we get with the Alabama Supreme Court is a, wow, principled statement. I can't remember any Supreme Court decision of the last hundred years that would be this principled on the part of this country. And, uh, wow, they said frozen embryos are children, and those who destroy them can be held liable for wrongful death, a decision that puts back in national focus the question of when life begins. Story I'm reading here. Critics say the ruling could have consequences nationally, as other states could attempt to define embryos as people uh here's cnn uh of course they've got a comment that's not not very you know supportive deputy executive director of legal advocacy group pregnancy justice uh, told cnn this is part of a long and strategic march towards entrenching this ideology of fetal personhood that is the at the heart of controlling pregnant people etc well yeah yeah you bet it is we've been working on personhood for quite some time And you're not going to be able to deal with slavery unless you deal with personhood. I think this nation figured that thing out about 150 years ago, right? Uh, And you're not really going to be able to come to a conclusion on abortion without coming to a conclusion on personhood. Uh, So this is significant. Alabama may be a salvageable state here, Adam, and the ongoing civil war that now has been unleashed on abortion, state against state. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court, of course, uh, turned the decision over to the states, and since then, well, I think we have opportunities to create pro-life states. Alabama, Tennessee, maybe three other states have a chance. So far, you know, Ohio, Kentucky, Kansas, others have took taken the wrong side. But I think right now you're looking at Alabama, Tennessee, a few other states, throwing Poland and maybe Hungary, maybe Argentina. And uh, that's pretty much it for the whole civilized world today or should I say uncivilized world today, when it comes to this issue of uh, abortion and the personhood of the unborn child. So probably the best news we've had in a long time.
1: Well, it's something that needs defining, because while some people are familiar with what it means, not everybody is. A couple that is not able to conceive naturally will go through in vitro fertilization the in vitro fertilization specialists bypass the middleman and make sure that the sperm meets the egg in a clinical setting in a Petri dish. But they don't just fertilize one egg. A woman getting IVF may expect to have 12 eggs taken out of her ovaries. Those will be fertilized and grown in the lab. And at the moment the egg is fertilized is the moment a child has been created brand new people that had never previously existed. They will only implant a handful, maybe two, three, four of these fertilized eggs back in the woman who wants to carry her own child to term. They will freeze the remaining embryos, and the ethical question becomes, well, what do you do with those? And sometimes they are willing to place those children through a legal adoption process where other women can have them implanted in their wombs and bring that child to term. But what happened, interestingly, back in December of 2020, a patient at the Mobile, Alabama Hospital where the frozen embryos were being stored apparently walked into the fertility clinic through an unsecured doorway, removed several embryos from the cryogenic nursery. I don't know if there was some malintent here or what happened, but when that patient touched the stainless steel holder for the fertilized eggs, that person became freeze-burned, dropped the embryos, and thus they killed them, the parents then sued the fertility clinic for wrongful death. I love what the Alabama Supreme Court said in their ruling. The ruling noted here, the text of the wrongful death of a minor act is sweeping and unqualified. It applies to all children born and unborn, without yep. limitation. It is not the role of this court to craft a new limitation based on our view of what is or is not wise public yep. policy, end
0: quote. Very very powerful, very consistent, very principled ruling on the part of the Alabama Supreme Court. And then Donald Trump, the uh, previous president, jumped in on this. And we got to take a break right now, and I want to come back to this question uh, next on Generation. Stay with us. We've seen it, folks. God is working in the hearts of dads and sons, and He's turning the hearts, turning the hearts of fathers back to the sons, and the hearts of sons back to the fathers, and turning us all back to God. That's what we're looking for, and that's the theme of the Father-Son Retreat we've been sponsoring out here in the mountains of Colorado for the last 20 years, and I've been part of this for all this time. Now, God has done amazing things through the years. Uh, I've seen it. 350 dads and sons getting into God's Word together. It's nothing like it. Camaraderie, brothers on brothers, it's a band of brothers coming together, powerful talks, prayer, father-son walks and talks, meaningful engagement. It's almost going without saying that dads and sons don't get enough time together. And hey, we don't get enough time out in God's nature playing games and going for hikes and God's fresh air. And we don't get quite enough time in God's Word either. So don't miss this year's Father-Son Retreats this August in the Colorado Rockies up in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. Check it out at com and register today and be one of the first 125 people to sign up and save a $100 per father and son. Secure your spot with the biggest discount available right now at com. And we're back. On Generations, Kevin Swanson with you, as well Adam McManus from TheWorldview.com, our daily update of what's happening around the world from a distinctively biblical worldview perspective. It's only, what, five minutes? We call it The Worldview in Five Minutes, but it could be maybe a bit longer. Um, now, Donald Trump jumped into this question on IVF and the Alabama Supreme Court decision that uh, granted personhood to a child. And the bottom line is, okay, you know, that child just grows and grows and grows and grows is born continues to live continues to grow at what point is that child a person the only point at which it makes sense is to prefer or to define personhood as a person who has you know been conceived they've come together the thing the thing the baby is now growing and at what point is it a person well it's got to be a person from the very beginning i think dr seuss had it right a person's a person no matter how small I'm not sure he attended that, but... <laughs> exactly
1: right. Yeah, I think he had it right. That reminds me of when I was a talk show host here in San Antonio. I would occasionally get asked to do different things, and one of them was, would you be willing to come and read a book of your choice to a first-grade classroom at Sudden Such School? I said yes, and I selected Horton Hears a Who. I didn't make uh, any yeah. commentary mm-hmm. on it, but right. I certainly appreciated the ultimate point i think that dr seuss was making in terms of affirming the child in the womb
0: well now the previous president donald trump has stepped in on this and you know he has been a bit disappointing to the pro-life group myself included when he would not support ron DeSantis, who i think came behind the heartbeat bill if i'm not mistaken and uh, and approved it for the state of florida and uh, got a little pushback from donald trump and now donald trump is back stepped in, I guess, one more time with this question of whether or not to allow for personhood for the unborn child and uh, or at least to protect the life of the unborn child in the IVF.
1: On April thirteenth, 2023, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, to his great credit, signed into law the heartbeat bill. It says, very matter-of-factly, if a heartbeat is detected... The baby is protected. Typically, the heartbeat is detected at the sixth week of pregnancy. So, Governor DeSantis protected babies from the sixth week of pregnancy and gestation through the end of the pregnancy. When Donald Trump appeared on Meet the Press in the fall of 2023 and was asked about Florida Governor DeSantis's decision to sign into law the heartbeat bill which protects that child in the womb from the sixth week of pregnancy through the delivery of the baby. Trump said it was terrible. It was a terrible decision. Truth be told, the heartbeat law is not terrible. It's wonderful. So this puts pro-lifers in a bit of a quandary. We applauded President Trump's nominations of Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court that ultimately led to the overturning of Roe v. Wade on June twenty fourth, 2022, in the Dobbs decision, President Trump has been described, I think accurately, as the most pro-life president in American history. But on the other hand, he's totally wrong on this condemnation of DeSantis' decision to sign the heartbeat bill into law in Florida in April of 2023. And now, as he's weighing in with IVF, even if it's something that's been artificially produced in the lab in a Petri dish, a child still has been made. So here's what he said in his Truth social statement, quote, under my leadership, the Republican Party will always support the creation of strong, thriving, healthy American families. We want to make it easier for mothers and fathers to have babies, not harder. That includes supporting the availability of fertility treatments like IVF in every state in America. Like the overwhelming majority of Americans, including the vast majority of Republicans, conservatives, Christians, and pro-life Americans, I strongly support the availability of IVF for couples who are trying to have a precious baby. Today, I am calling on the Alabama Legislature to act quickly to find an immediate solution to preserve the availability of IVF in Alabama. The Republican Party should always be on the side of the miracle of life and the side of mothers, fathers, and their beautiful babies. IVF is an important part of that, and our great Republican Party will always be with you in your quest for the ultimate joy in life. End quote. What I think is a red herring is Donald Trump's conclusion that the Alabama Supreme Court came down against in vitro fertilization. That was not the substance of the ruling. The substance of the ruling is, if you're going to go forward with in vitro fertilization, you need to preserve and protect all of the embryos that have been created, keep them frozen, keep them available for that couple to have future implantations of their children that were put together, and conceived, I suppose, if you want to use that word, in the the lab or have them available for placement and adoption so that other women could possibly have those fertilized eggs, those babies in the embryonic form placed in their wombs. But all the Alabama Supreme Court did was affirm the personhood of those fertilized embryos and that they should never be destroyed. It wasn't saying that in vitro fertilization is bad.
0: The difficulty, of course, is once you've established uh, personhood, you've got to protect that person as you would with any other person, born or unborn. And that's the challenge here. Not the Bee, which is the other organization that's attached to the Babylon Bee, came out and uh, and, and pointed out that killing babies is in order to make babies is wrong. Uh, Here's here's a quote from them. Beyond the whole playing God thing, they don't just fertilize one egg with IVF. A woman getting IVF may expect to have twelve eggs taken out of her ovaries. Those will be fertilized, grown in the lab. Around fifty five percent of the newly formed babies won't make it more than a week. Of the rest, there's a good chance one will be viable and put back inside the woman to grow. The rest are either discarded or frozen, sometimes for decades. They also point out, which I think this is this is helpful because again, we got to put everything into. Some degree of perspective here. If the child that is created or put together, produced by IVF, is human, literally nothing else matters. He says here, you'll go to prison for years if you destroy eagle eggs, regardless of whether they're fertilized. But if you toss a newly formed human being in the trash, it's okay. That's the question that is put forward at the moment. Sperm and egg meet; there is a new person. If we're just mindless meat machines and humans aren't anything special there's really no morality to it at all and killing whomever you want whenever you want works under the law of the jungle A petri dish is a petri dish but that's not how humans work you're not just an eagle you're a human you're special you are aware of things that no other creature is aware of and i would add you are created in the image of god uh so so that's the perspective given to us and i think christians should step back and consider these things now we've had we've had actually recently some debates on these sorts of matters between pastors and i would say conservative pastors on these sorts of things but i think we all need to step back and ask some of these questions cityfertility.com also gives more Precise statistics each step of the IVF process is associated with some decreases in the number of eggs or embryos that make it to the next step. Ultimately, the chances that one egg retrieval cycle will eventually result in live birth are 55.6% for people under 35, 40.8% for people 35 to 37, 26.8% for people 38 to 40 years of age, 12.6% for people 41 to 42, and 3.9% for people 43 and over. On average, it is something like Uh, 50% survival rate uh, for any child conceived through IVF, and uh, that compares to a 16% average rate of miscarriage, according to the CDC, for the normal uh, God-established process of conception and birth. So, so you've got about a 50% of embryos. Now his statistics were 60% uh, or excuse me, only 40 to 50% of the embryos will survive the process. So it's anywhere between 50 and 60% of embryos created actually die in the process as compared with 16% average rate for miscarriage uh, using God's established system. So the child is three to four times more likely to die by the IVF process. And the question we all need to step back and ask ourselves is, are we okay with this? And and I think also we need to be fair with a question like this. Uh, You know, are you going to put your kids through a situation where you know that only half of them will survive? Miscarriages of course are always in the hands of God, but when you're creating your own system, you know, and then you're putting your children, let's say even, you know, you have birthed three or four kids, um, Adam, and you say, well, we're all going to go on a little you know, vacation, or we're going to go through some kind of a risky adventure, and only about half of you are going to survive this risky adventure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, Adam, you're going to say, I think we'll probably skip that one today.
1: We'll pass on that. Yeah, we'll pass There's on that There's another one. aspect to this which we've not yet addressed, and that is something euphemistically described as selective reduction. It's one of those Orwellian terms bandied about. But what it really means is the mother has, let's say, four fertilized eggs, embryos, placed in her womb, fertilized from her husband's sperm. Her eggs, they're now embryos. They're children in the embryonic stage. What the in vitro fertilization doctors do is say, okay, we're going to suggest that you selectively reduce one or two or three of these. Because Now, this one, uh, baby A looks pretty good, pretty strong. Baby B, not so much. C and D, I think we can select. What they're talking about is aborting. They're talking about aborting mm-hmm, the very mm-hmm. children you spent $25,000 to have in the lab created and then implanted yeah. mm-hmm. and now you're going to kill the very babies that are developing in the womb of the mother so this is part of the dirty little secret the dirty
0: underbelly of ivf yeah yeah survival of the fittest i think is is what they're talking about here and uh, so friends some of these things man this brave new world we got to step back as christians we can't just be taking all of this hook line and sinker can't we think independently? Can't we think biblically for just one moment? Purposefully creating a risky environment for unborn children is a violation of Exodus 21, the lex talionis. I think it's even worse than what's presented in the lex talionis, and here's why. Because there's no premeditated intent to create the risk field environment for the unborn child in Exodus 21. The the men who fight, listen to the the the, the word or the principle here, that comes from Exodus 21, 22. Two, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him. He shall pay as the judges determine if any harm follows. You shall give life for life. I mean, that's pretty serious. You know, if the baby loses its life, and the a fair percentage of Jewish scholars, as well as Christian scholars, that say that that applies to the baby as well as the woman. Only because it refers, the passage refers to both the woman and the child. So if any harm follows, you should give life for life. So the idea that 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 men would fight, and, and in this case, they're not premeditating to create the risk-filled environment. They're not really thinking about the woman with child. What happens is they're in a fight. I want you to picture this for a moment. They're in a fight, two men in a fight, okay? One of them throws a chair across the room at the man, misses the guy, hits the woman with child. See, that's the whole scenario presented here in the Lex Talionis passage from Exodus 21. And in the process, the, the woman uh, yalads as she she gives birth, but there's there's damage done to the child or to the woman, either way, and the result is that there is something of a fine. There is, or, or even to the point of life for life. So it could be either way. Um. Well, the bottom line here is God is not into this kind of thing. <laughs> you know, he he's into protecting women who are pregnant and children in the womb. That that's the principle that that I think you know. It doesn't matter your interpretation. You know wh- whether you think that this is a criminal act that w- must be punished in courts in the present day. Bottom line is that God is protecting the life of a little child, and he doesn't want us creating a risky environment in which uh, a a child might uh, lose their lives. And so that's the principle. To purposefully add risks to the life of a child seems to me to be a violation of the Sixth Commandment. It's not as egregious as an abortion. I get it. But it's it's nevertheless a serious violation of of God's principles here. God God is really into protecting the life of the unborn. That that's the basic principle you can get from Exodus twenty one. Whether you apply that passage to to you know every civil government or not is beyond the question right now. I'm just arguing the principle that God is out to protect the life of an unborn child. You get that, Adam?
1: I do. I and I'd like to offer two other points great. Source of information I highly recommend, especially if you've got a teenage homeschooler who is looking to write a very interesting paper. Write a paper on in vitro fertilization. And a great source of information is studentsforlife.org. Click on their learn tab, studentsforlife.org. Click on their learn tab, and under other issues, you'll find in vitro fertilization. And one point they make here is that advances within in vitro fertilization and i was not aware of this now allow for parents to screen out embryos with genetic disabilities and undesirable traits so whether one has down syndrome or perhaps has green eyes and you want a blue-eyed baby they say screening out these human embryos results in a frankenstein-like society Mm -hmm. and this is problematic but they do offer some hope they say there's a major breakthrough that exists in monitoring and maintaining women's reproductive Mm -hmm. health and we mean that in the truest sense of the phrase not in how the pro-abortion folks mismanage that phrase and they talk about something called natural procreative technology. It's a medical and surgical alternative that has been proven effective to treat infertility, ovarian cysts, repetitive miscarriage, and hormonal imbalances, among other health complications. This monitors women's hormonal events during the menstrual cycle and identifies when gynecological systems operate abnormally, identifying the problems which may be able to be corrected. Again, it's called Natural Procreative Technology. You can learn more at okay. studentsforlife.org slash learn.
0: My more fundamental concern, as you mentioned already, is this Frankensteinian brave new world that refuses to fear God. And so, you know, I like to come down to the more fundamental issue. What, what, what has created all this crazy stuff going on around us today? And I think it's because we have, for the last 150 years, taught science without the fear of God, at least increasingly in our universities and colleges. And I I think this is the fundamental. As long as we're presenting science and technology without the fear of God, I think it should be highly suspect, highly suspect for, for Christians. Uh, the big difference between non-Christians and Christians is that we are going to fear God. The beginning of wisdom and knowledge is the fear of God. We are serving God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, Hebrews 12 and 28. So throw out any science curriculum that doesn't fear God or acknowledge God or encourage the worship and praise and adoration for the awesomeness of God on every page, ideally every page of the curriculum. I think it's a time for a, a real reformation, a Copernican reformation revolution in how we teach science. And I think that's the fundamental. That's why our science curriculum is, is really the best way to, to fix the problem that I think is in front of us. Uh, We've just completed uh, God Made Animals, God Made the World, God Made Life, God Made Everything, God Made Plants, and God Made Me is coming out in just about uh, two months from now. So we're excited about that. That completes our six-part series on uh, introducing the awesomeness of God back into science. I'm not talking about two or three Bible verses just kind of scattered around like (laughs) holy water over some quote-unquote Christian curriculum. Well put you know i'm i'm talking about integrating hundreds of bible verses and praise and worship on virtually every page and singing hymns and psalms at the end of every chapter that's what we're doing friends uh, to, to tell you the truth i think without this the whole world's going to come apart and i don't think i'm exaggerating the case here here's uh, my last comment in my chapter on the rise and fall of science in Epoch, the rise and fall of the West. Okay. This is how I wrap it up in Epoch. As far as modern man refused to fear God as the beginning of knowledge, his science would turn to barking up the wrong tree, producing counterproductive results. Major developments in modern science during the latter half of the 20th century included weapons of mass destruction, ergo Wuhan laboratories playing around with extremely dangerous biological weapons and 40 laboratories around China and around the world computer and uh, information technology, genetic engineering—the grand inventions topped the list for the 21st century included the iPhone, the mobile operating systems, social media, Bitcoin, gene editing, augmented reality, the conception control patch, artificial intelligence, online screaming, sc- scream screaming, sorry, or screaming either way, <laughs> ebook readers, touch screen glass, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Question: Would any of this really help man in his dominion task? Would these? things free man to serve God or further enslave him? Would he use them for good or for ill? Predominantly. The 21st century produced children born of three parents, artificial insemination, we just talked about that, surrogate wombs, millions of disposable snowflake children, which we just talked about, human-animal hybrids, artificial wombs, innumerable other monstrosities, the overuse of antibiotics made the world most susceptible to highly resistant superbugs. The natural was traded for the unnatural, children conceived outside of human relationship, and institutionalized womb to tomb. There was no end to what Dr. Frankenstein would do absent of the fear of God and all biblical morality. Would proud scientists set the world up for the most spectacular failure in all of human history. An assessment of the sum total effect of the entire conglomeration of modern technology upon human society would have found that there was enough to destroy humankind, or at least subjugate him. By a significant percentage, the majority of babies conceived in the 21st century were killed by IUD technology, surgical abortions, RU-46, and other means. Conservatively, 68% of babies conceived annually in the U.S. and 64% of babies conceived worldwide were terminated by these technologies. Man has become quite adept at mass production killing. And here's my question. What was missing? Well, it was the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. I think you jettison the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom and knowledge in the universities in the year 1920. You're going to be paying for it 100 years later. I think it's the key force in precipitating the fall of science in the West and the precipitating the fall of the West. So I, I, I'm just going to add this one thing at the end. We, we, have got to, we have got to teach the fear of God, the awesomeness of God, the worship of God, the praise of God. It's a very simple concept. We just need to bring this back into our homeschools and Christian schools. And personally, Adam, I think the only hope to save civilization, and I don't think I'm overstating this. I really believe the only hope to saving science to saving civilizations right now, this out of control, Frankensteinian, whatever's going on, in Wuhan laboratories, whatever's going on in the highest echelons of science, medical technology politics, et cetera. The only hope for saving civilization, saving the world right now is Jesus Christ and, and godly Christian families who are bringing a Christian education, the fear of God back into homeschools and Christian schools. And I know that's not very many. It's not very much salt left, but I, I think this is the solution. This is it. This is it. This is the only possibility of saving civilizations from the destruction that technology and science will bring down upon this world.
1: Oftentimes in my talks before groups, I will take out a salt shaker and challenge the Christians in the audience to get out of the salt shaker and into the world, in keeping with Matthew 5.13 from the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth. In so doing, we help preserve a rotting culture. Before refrigeration, salt was used to preserve meat, for example. I take that salt shaker and start shaking it into the palm of my other hand until almost two teaspoons of salt has accumulated in that palm. And then put this palm full of salt and press it onto my tongue. And people kind of wince and look aghast. And I say, just like the salt in my mouth right now is making me quite thirsty, when we as believers get out of the salt shaker and into the world, we make people thirsty for the things of God. And that's when we present the claims of Christ in a clear way in keeping with the Great Commission found in Matthew 28:18 through 20 where we have been tasked to go into all the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded us. We do the world no good if we stay in our holy huddle. We need to get out of the salt shaker, preserve the rotting meat of society with our godly influence that Jesus Christ has transformed our lives, and therefore he calls us to help transform the world around us, starting with our families and then the civil government and spread the good news
0: of Jesus Christ everywhere we can. Amen. And before we do that, let's resaltify the salt. (laughs) because <laughs> the salt has lost its savor.
1: Oh, there you the go. The salt
0: has lost its savor. <laughs> and, and Adam, that's the more fundamental thing that we're just trying to bring back into the 21st century Christianity where things are kind of coming to a point at which the salt has lost its savor and Jesus said at that point, it's just worth nothing but to throw out onto a dunghill. No, no, we need to resaltify the salt and then saltify the world all around us. That's my friends summarizes the agenda get a copy of epoch the rise and fall of the west and i direct your attention primarily to the chapter on the rise and fall of modern science i do think that's the most interesting chapter Eh, just read the whole thing all right it's all available at generations.org this is kevin swanson and adam McManus inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation